0: I am so excited about what we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about proving the fact that the Assyrian prophecy that includes Assyria, Israel, and Egypt has yet to be fulfilled. This is critical to you. Stay
1: with me. I'll be right back. Finding and knowing God is a faith walk. The Bible says that without faith, it is impossible to please God. Our hope lies in the coming Messiah who will establish God's peaceful kingdom on earth. This is Faith Walk with Ron Susek. Dr. Ron is an evangelist committed to encourage and equip your Faith Walk as we pass through these turbulent end-time days, awaiting that soon-coming kingdom. Here again is Ron Susek.
0: You may say, Ron, (laughs) what's so critical to me? About Assyria, Israel, and Egypt. Everything. Because it's a prophecy that God gave through Isaiah at the most improbable time of history. The Assyrians had already emptied the northern ki- kingdoms or the nor- northern tribes of Israel, took them out of the land in a genocidal movement, and brought in non Israeli people in order to live in their homes. And that's why there was such bitterness toward. The Samaritans—they were living in Samaria—and the bitterness was over the fact that they were living in formerly Jewish homes and Jewish territory that God had promised to them. And in that light, when Jesus talked about the good Samaritan, are you beginning to see why they got their backs up a bit here? What good Samaritan? There are no good Samaritans. Uh, we've got so, a lot of things to talk about in the days ahead about. Galilee and Israel and the Jews and the Gentiles. Critical stuff. But today, I want to lay the foundation. I wrote a book a couple of years ago called The Assyrian Prophecy. Please get a copy. Contact me at faithwalk.org. faithwalk.org. Or if you want to go directly to order the book, go to... The Assyrian Project. Get it? The Assyrian Project. One word. The TheAssyrianProject.org. It's the most inexpensive way to get the book. I want you to get it and read it because I'm telling you right now, it's going to be coming into your news. It's already in your life, whether you know it or not. It's going to be coming into your news, and you'll want to know these things so that you can follow what God is doing. But in that light... It's very interesting that when I wrote the book, I wrote it on the basis that the prophecy was yet to be fulfilled. But I began to get winds coming back to me, suggesting, "No, no, no! It probably was fulfilled historically." Well, ah, uh, if that's true, then burn the book. Then don't even bother reading that part of Isaiah. It's history. It's over. It's done. No. I don't think it is, and I want to prove the case. In fact, I want to close the case today. I, I feel like an attorney uh, in a court of law right now. we got to build the case, and let's do it well. Let's do it carefully. And by the way, everything I say has in no way a disparaging view of the great scholars that I've researched. They are great men, great minds, but understand that great minds and great ideas Only make the same observations you can make if you do the same study and research. And so the big question is this. Was the prophecy fulfilled as a historic event? If so, then most scholars do not even address this. When when you read Bible commentaries, no one even brings it up. Do you know why? For them, either it's not an issue, or they, like myself, did the research. And discovered there's nothing adequate to make that declaration. And so they remain silent. And here are a few that do write about it as a possibility that it was fulfilled in history. Number one, and I'm going to give you these. I'm not going to take you into the weeds of scholarship, and 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 I don't mean by that that I'm a scholar. I don't feel that I'm that at all. But I do work hard at research, so that I'm bringing you truth that you can rely on and count on and be sure of. And um, and so when I went into research, I found six different ways in history that some scholars never said it did happen, but they said possibly it was. Sort of like it. Well, when God does something, it's never possibly or sort of like it. Bam, bam, bam. It's right on target. The first one that I discovered as I was researching who is saying this and why are they saying that the prophecy was fulfilled. Well, the first one is Ellicott's commentary suggests that it might have been the Persian Empire. But watch these words that. Ellicott uses the nearest historical approximation, he says. Did you get that? (laughs) He didn't say, friends, every point of the prophecy was fulfilled. Here's proof. He said, the nearest approximation is that perhaps it is found in, in ancient Persia when Cyrus was the emperor. Well, he was actually the monarch. Well, not so. It was not fulfilled then because Cyrus, we know, was spoken to by God. He didn't even know this God, but he felt he was spoken to by God. So what did he do? He financed perhaps the largest financial gift in all of world history to escort Israel from slavery in Persia. I won't go into the details of how they got there. We'll do that another time. All the way back to Israel, under the protection of the Persian army, and gave them an enormous amount of money to rebuild the walls, and above all, rebuild the temple. Well, that in no way is, is anything a fulfillment of the prophecy. It might be an approximation, but it was not a fulfillment of the prophecy because Israel, Egypt certainly was not involved in this. So when you look at the points of the prophecy, which is Israel, Egypt, and Assyria, these three being a blessing to the whole world. Well, when did that ever happen? Eh? When did that ever happen? No record of history whatsoever. A highway is to be built from Egypt up through Israel and into Assyria in northern Iraq and Turkey, southeastern Turkey. When did that ever happen? Never. Oh. Armies marched along routes to kill one another and conquer and, and divide, but never to worship together. And in the fulfillment of this prophecy, we have these nations worshiping together. Now, you can't worship together until you have one heart, one mind, and one God, and you understand who that God is. You understand the doctrines of that God properly so that you know his character and his makeup. That's when you can worship together as one. That has never, never, never happened historically. So critical to
1: understand that. Now Dr. Ron has been talking to us about the end time days and wants us to prepare for the coming kingdom. And he has written a book titled The Assyrian Prophecy that is a missing part of the end times puzzle. And he who sat on the throne said, Behold,
0: I make all things new. Right. For these words are true and faithful. The world is not ending. God is preparing a new world soon to begin. An ancient nation thought lost to extinction is soon to rise anew to prepare for that day. Isaiah identified this nation in a prophecy that has been hidden in plain sight for some 2,700 years. Its name is Assyria. My new book, The Assyrian Prophecy, reveals how Assyria will join with Israel and Egypt to bless the world under the soon-coming Messiah. Amid today's chaos, God is searching for righteous people through whom He will bring the prophecy to completion. When you reach the end of this book, one question will be in your mind. Lord, what would you have me to do? You can learn more at theassyrianproject.org. The second one that was suggested by some scholars was Alexander the Great. Now, Alexander the Great is one of those guys that I kind of like, but on the other hand, I'm not sure that I'm impressed with anyone who feels that they have the right to trespass on other nations and conquer and take over and kill and subdue and obligate them to work for his kingdom. I'm, I'm not sure that, that I'm too impressed with that. But I was impressed with many skills about the man. He certainly was one talented character. But Alexander the Great had conquered a lot of Israel, and some of the Jews sprinkled over into Greece and under his empire of the Greek Empire. And yes, they had some synagogues over there, and yes, they did some of their rituals over there, but, ah, my friend, there was not some universal oneness of worship going on. There was no blessing coming to the whole world. So that's what took place under Alexander the Great, and so, in a real sense, let's write him off. Disqualified, he can't count. The third one is interesting. I never heard about this fellow before. His name was Semiticus. <laughs> but, uh, do you know him? Well, if you do, I'm impressed. Semiticus was an Egyptian pharaoh in 664 to 610 B.C., And Gill's exposition, Gill's was an expository, and in his exposition, here's what he said. In that day shall there be a highway out of Egypt to Assyria. It signifies that there should be peace between them. All hostilities should cease. Free trade and commerce with each other should be open, and nothing should hinder communion with one another, which some think had some—watch it now— some show of accomplishment in the times of Sematicus. Well, that not that interesting? Some show. Not everything there, but a little tidbit here. Let me drop something in here. Get ready for this. When God is going to do something great down the road, he'll give you previews so that you know it's coming, so that you know what to anticipate. He'll give you previews. We may be finding some fragments of previews in some of these experiences that took place in history, but never the complete prophecy in absolute fulfillment. And that having been said, let's move on to the fourth one. The fourth event was an era between Alexander the Great and Christ's birth. It suggested again. Maybe this is when it happened. And yet again, we have the same problem. Alexander the Great did not in any way. In fact, <laughs> Alexander the Great was quite a megalomaniac. I'm going to tell you that story in just a moment. But as Alexander the Great, it's interesting that he wanted to make a deal with the priest in, in Jerusalem. He wanted his statue on top of the temple. Whoa, big boy, wait a minute, hang on, stay in your saddle. <laughs> who do you think you are? You're not God. You're not one of the prophets of God. You're a man who just had a lot of military skills and a lot of guts, a lot of determination, and killed a lot of people, took a lot of land. Yeah, you had quite a empire. So what? You have no business having a statue on the temple of our holy God in Jerusalem. So, interestingly enough, the man that he approached about that was a fellow that I'm looking for his name real quickly here. Oh, yes, Simon the Righteous. Simon the Righteous, let me put my statue up on the temple. Simon the Righteous said, No. Can't do it, won't do it. Why? <laughs> too sacred, too holy. You don't fit that category. Oh, but even though I won't let you put a your statue on our temple, I will ask all of our priests to name their firstborn son for one generation after you. Oh Alexander was flattered. His little heart flip flopped head got flushed, and he agreed to that. Well, Simon the Righteous was really looked upon with great respect and awe in Israel, and so with some of that negotiation, this one commentator said, well, maybe that's when it was fulfilled. Well, again, it might have been a nice little preview, but it lacked all the ingredients of the prophecy. Then we come to three more views that were set forth, not by this man. He's a commentator who did his research, and he said there are three views. By the way, his name is Malbin. He was a rabbi, brilliant, brilliant man, back in 1809, and he was writing for the Stone Editing, the Torah, the Prophets, the Writings, and the Tenek Commentary. Absolute genius. And here's what he wrote about the prophecy we're talking about in Isaiah chapter 19, verses 23 to 25. He said, there are those who believe it will be in the future. Right on. You got me. There I am. I'll hold up the flag. I'll stand on the mountain. I'll preach it. It's in the future. I don't think it's in the not too far distant future. It's time to get ready, friends. So there are those, he said, Jewish scholars who believe it's in the future. Then he said, there are others who say it happened under Simon the Righteous when he was negotiating with with, uh, Alexander the Great, and Alexander the Great wanted a statue on the temple, and he said, no way. Well, we'll name some people after you, but that's it. And then, finally... There are those, he said, who suggest it happened in Hezekiah's time. Now, isn't that interesting? Hezekiah is under siege by the Assyrians. 185,000 Assyrian soldiers surrounding Jerusalem. The Rabashak standing before the wall, cursing and mocking the God of Israel. And showing that they've conquered all the other gods of other nations. They're going to conquer this God. And who's this Hezekiah who's telling you that his God will deliver you? After all, he tore down the high places, which, by the way, was a good thing. But the Rabbishak didn't understand that. He thought he'll get on their nerves. He tore down your high places. The high places were, were built up high places. That's what they were. They were high places where they were still worshiping the gods of Egypt. And you tell me that was not against. Jehovah, Yahweh, you better believe it was. And so Hezekiah had done the right thing, but the rabbi didn't understand that. And so he thought, we'll get on their nerves and they'll go, yeah, we want to get rid of Hezekiah. No, it didn't happen. Hezekiah went before God in prayer. He opened the scroll in the temple. He sought God with all of his heart. He was terrified. And he called for Isaiah. And Isaiah came in and said, You're on Safe ground. Everything's fine. It'll be good. You'll be delivered tonight. In the morning, they discovered 185,000 dead Assyrian soldiers from the work of an angel of God. So, let me tell you something. Isaiah and Hezekiah does not fulfill Isaiah's prophecy whatsoever. Well, how do we draw this thing to a conclusion? How do we really come firmly to the conviction that this prophecy is futuristic? Well, number one, not one commentator, not one scholar said, this is it, and I prove it by all the points of the prophecy. Not one, not one, so don't worry about it. They all have one or two little points dangling around like a Christmas ball, but none of them prove anything. But we come to the Bible for the evidence we need to close the case. And that's found in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 11 to 12. Oh, you're going to love this. Stay with me for this. In verse 11, we read Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember, that you were at that time separated from Christ. All the Gentiles, separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no promise, having no hope, and without God in the world, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace. Now follow this carefully. Who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. The hostility between the Jew and the Gentile. Pause there. Come back to me for a moment. The Jew was to be God's witness to the Gentile nations. That's found in Isaiah twice. You were to be my witness to the Gentile world of who I am and what I am. You failed. You became arrogant and haughty, and you were calling the Gentiles dogs rather than bringing them into the salvation I brought into the world through you. So the Jews failed. We know that. That's not some bias. That's the Old Testament teaching. It's not some Gentile in the New Testament. It's Old Testament prophets preaching at Israel. Wake up, wake up, get with it. You are about to be judged for what you're doing. You're to be the witness of God to the world. Well, there was a hostility there between the Jew and the Gentile. It exists to this day, but it doesn't exist in the church the believing Jews, and the believing Gentiles. It doesn't exist there. There is no wall of hostility. It was broken down by Jesus Christ. The prophecy could never be fulfilled until that wall was torn down. Are you getting the picture now? It was at the cross that the beginning, uh, well, at the cross, that's when the prophecy was fulfilled in heavenly terms and will manifest in soon coming days now look at verse 14 for he christ himself is our peace who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man jew gentile one in place Of the two, so making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body, Jew and Gentile, through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off, Paul is writing to you and me, Gentiles, and peace to those who were near, writing to the Jews. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, and aliens is sojourners just passing through, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and the members of the household of God. Isn't that tremendous? Verse 20, Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by and for or in the Spirit. Pause there. Do you get the picture? There could be no fulfillment of that prophecy of Assyria Gentiles, Israel Jews, Egypt Gentiles, blending into oneness of worship, providing a blessing to the whole world with a highway going between them apart from the cross of Christ, tearing down the resentment, the hatred, the hostility, and blending us together as one in Jesus Christ. Ah, my friend... When that is complete, you will see those three nations established just as Isaiah described it by the Holy Spirit that revealed it to him. Now, I'm totally out of time, but I want you to stay with me through this whole series because we now see pieces coming together that God may be moving rapidly toward the fulfillment of that prophecy. I don't want you to miss one part of that. I hope that you are becoming a member of my One Million team. What is that? I'm not asking you to join an organization. I'm asking you to stay in the church where you are. I'm asking every pastor and every bishop and every patriarch and every believer on earth to join me, become part of this team that we're calling Faith Walk. What what is our goal? Our goal is to equip and encourage one million Christians worldwide to bring an average of 100 people to salvation in their lifetimes. Now, you may only be able to bring one, a husband, a wife, a son, or daughter, or you may be able to bring a thousand. But if we average 100 apiece, we will get a 100 million people out of the hands of Satan, out of the grip of hell and into the glory of heaven. Think about that. Again, I hope that you will be standing with me with joy, as, and I hope you're taking notes on everything I'm saying. These messages will all be available to you on YouTube. They are on our channel. They are on Roku. They are available 24 hours a day. You can go back and look at anyone you want. My friend, we're doing everything we can to build you in the Word of God, to strengthen your faith, and to bring you to salvation if you have not yet come to Christ. And in that light, if you're saying, Ron, you're making sense. I'm beginning to see this thing coming together, that the Bible is more accurate than the news. The Bible is telling us exactly where we're heading. And Ron, as it unfolds, I want to belong to God. Well, if so, I'm going to give you a prayer right now that I want you to pray after me. Think this through. Make this your prayer. Dear God, on the basis that Jesus died for me, I'm trusting your forgiveness for all my sins. I'm asking you for the power to live committed to you, obedient to your will, from now until I meet you in heaven. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you, my friend, and always remember, Emmanuel,
1: it means God is with you. Now, Dr. Ron has been talking to us about the end time days and wants us to prepare for the coming kingdom. And he has written a book titled, The Assyrian Prophecy, that is a missing part of the end times puzzle. And he who sat on the throne said, Behold, I make
0: all things new. Write, for these words are true and faithful. The world is not ending. God is preparing a new world soon to begin. An ancient nation thought lost to extinction is soon to rise anew to prepare for that day. Isaiah identified this nation in a prophecy that has been hidden in plain sight for some 2,700 years. Its name is Assyria. My new book, The Assyrian Prophecy, reveals how Assyria will join with Israel and Egypt to bless the world under the soon-coming Messiah. Amid today's chaos, God is searching for righteous people through whom He will bring the prophecy to completion. When you reach the end of this book, one question will be in your mind. Lord, what would you have me to do?
1: You can learn more at theassyrianproject.org. Well, thanks for being with us today, and we hope you'll join us again next week as we find courage for the journey in our faith walk.